Welcome to Supersized Science, where we feature research and discoveries nationwide enabled by advanced computing technology and expertise at the Texas Advanced Computing Center of the University of Texas at Austin. I'm Jorge Salazar, a science writer at Tech. If you hold one wire mesh on top of another one and look through it, you'll see a larger pattern called a moray pattern formed by the overlapping grids of the two meshes, which depends on the relative twisted angle. Scientists developing new materials are actively studying moray patterns in overlapping atomically thin materials. They produce intriguing electronic phenomena that includes unconventional superconductivity and ferromagnetism. Supercomputer simulations have helped scientists reveal in a bilayer moray system a new species of an electronic phenomenon called an exciton, which is an electrically neutral quasi-particle, yet one that can carry energy and consists of an electron and electron hole that can be created, for example, by light impinging certain semiconductors and other materials. The research was published August of 2022 in the journal Nature. In the study, the scientists developed computer models that go beyond the conventional parameterized models that have been used to describe moray systems and moray excitons. Instead, they performed ab initio calculations that only start with the identity and initial position of the 3,903 atoms and the moray superlattice unit cell. On the podcast to talk about their study are Stephen G. Louie, a distinguished professor of physics at the University of California, Berkeley and a senior faculty scientist at the Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory. Mitt Nake, a postdoctoral researcher working with Professor Louis at UC Berkeley and LBNL. And Felipe Ornata, assistant professor in the Department of Materials Science and Engineering at Stanford University and a principal investigator at the SLAC National Accelerator Laboratory. Doctors Louis, Nake, and Hornada, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having us, and we are delighted to be here today. Would you um, maybe start with uh, the main findings of a study that was recently published August of 2022 in the journal Nature? And this is having to do with um, uh, moray patterns of two-dimensional materials. Uh, could you uh, fill us in on the main findings of that? What did you, what did you find? In this work, uh, we discover a novel exciton of unforeseen intralayer charge transfer character in a moray super lattice formed by two atomically thin layer of uh, transition metal dicarcinide materials. In the individual uh, two-dimensional materials forming the moray super lattice, for example, a monolayer of tungsten disulfide or tungsten diselenide, the only type of exciton found uh, is a one uh, exciton where the photo-excited electron and photo-excited hole wave function form a bond object with the electron density strongly overlapping the whole density in space. But when a Moray's uh, superlattice is constructed by laying one monolayer on top of another monolayer, what we discover is that a rich collection of new excitons with different characters occur. Particularly, we found that some of the excitons no longer possess the original, what we call the Vandy exciton character. 
due to a strong structural reconstruction of the moray pattern, uh, the photoexcited electron and hole are now spatially separated from each other to form a what we call intralayer charge transfer exciton. Because of their new character, uh, these excitons respond differently to external uh, stimulations, which can be exploited for applications. Our experimental colleagues, uh, led by Professor Fang Wong uh, at UC Berkeley, uh, verify our theoretical predictions by finding distinct signatures of the intralayer charge transfer exciton uh, in their measurements. So these are the basic findings that we presented in our nature paper. Oh, maybe we can add also a, a few comments uh, also on the axons and why we're interested in this sort of material. And we've been talking about exciton and what is an exciton. So exciton is an excited uh, electronic configuration in a semiconductor or uh, an insulator. And it can typically create that uh, when the material is bombarded with light or some other uh, stimuli. So what happens is that when light or more specifically a, a photon is absorbed by a semiconductor, the process basically excites one electron in the valence band. These are the electrons that form the chemical bonds uh, into the conduction band. And when the electron is excited, it leaves behind uh, a hole. And what happens is that this excited electron and this hole that is left uh, no, behind, individually, they can move freely in the material, they can give rise to electrical conduction. Now, and that's basically uh, what is the fundamental basis for the semiconducting technology nowadays. Uh, but what happens is that the conduction electron that you just created is negatively charged. The hole that left behind is positively charged. And because of that, there is a strong, what we call Coulomb interaction between this positive and negative you know, uh, you know, carriers or excitations. And they basically interact very strongly and they create a bound pair uh, that lowers the energy. And that's what we call this exon. So the analogy is pretty similar to a hydrogen atom where you have a proton and electron you know, qualitatively that form a stable object, but also this net positive hole and negative electron also interact strongly and create an excitation. Now, what's interesting is that in this uh, materials that were studied, these transition metal uh, dicocogenate that Dr. Nike just mentioned, they're class of uh, three-dimensional materials uh, with a thickness of just three atoms. So these are materials that we call van der Waals materials because they interact only very weakly with other materials. And they're layered and uh, uh, can be easily separated and exfoliated. And this uh, transition metal dicocogenous, they have very unique and strong light absorption properties that make them really great platforms for you know, uh, how we can study light and matter interaction and quantum technology in the 2D limit. So also you know, those uh, monolayers, this transition metal dicocogenous, they can be stacked in the lab. And with that, it can create much more complicated structures that we call heterostructure, but just piling this layer of materials and they have unique properties. And of course, experiments can also control the layers that you put in and the twist angle and the more pattern. Would you uh, speak to the model uh, that you developed of this um, Moray super lattice? And I think Dr. Louis also um, uh, mentioned earlier um, the experimental data uh, that was used to verify it. Um, could you talk about some of the some of the data that was used to build the model as well? Um, In our study, uh, we go beyond the conventional. Uh, parameterized models that have been used to describe uh, Murray systems and Murray excitons. Uh, we perform uh, what we call 
uh, ab initial calculations uh, where the only starting ingredients to the calculation are just the identity and the position of the atoms. Uh, we solved the many uh, the quantum many body problem on the computer. So all the quantum nature of the electronic behaviors of the material is then computed with this configuration atom, atoms completely from first principles without the use of any empirical parameters. And since there's no empirical fitting involved, it is a powerful method to accurately predict material properties. Uh, in particular, to calculate the exciton states and the optical property of uh, Moray systems, uh, we use the uh, so-called state-of-the-art GW plus beta solpeter equation uh, approach, which is one of the most accurate approaches to predict the optical electronic uh, properties of uh, materials. Now, regarding the experiment, because our calculations are ab initio, we were actually able to start with the the known atomic geometries and the atoms involved in the Murray system and predict the electronic and optical response of the system. So after our calculation, we make certain predictions regarding to the behavior of the excitons in the system. And then we uh, work with our experimental colleagues uh, at Berkeley and ask them to uh, verified uh, the predictions by doing uh, measurements. Basically, they shine light on the material and then look at the reflection of the light and see how the system responds to uh, the impinging photons. In addition to looking at the pristine material, they could dope the material they could apply magnetic field to the material, they could uh, uh, apply electric field to the materials. And that's what we talk about, how the external perturbation could distort the excitons and change their response. And this is how we uh, collaborate with the experimentalists and uh, validate and verify the behavior of uh, the, the predicted excitons. Could you speak to um, some of the, the computation that went into this uh, into this model? Um, what, were the, what were the main challenges? And basically, why did you need supercomputers? So as Professor Louis mentioned, the GWBSE method is very accurate, but it is also very computationally challenging. Simulating an exciton requires us to perform very expen computationally expensive six-dimensional integrals numerous times. And these integrals are massive in the Morier super lattice because of the large number of unit cells. And it's impossible, uh, in fact, currently to compute fully these integrals, even with the best state-of-the-art high-performance computing facilities. And this is because these integrals scale as order n to the power five, with uh, where n here is the number of atoms. For example, typical GWBSE calculations are performed on systems up to 100 atoms in the unit cell. And here we were performing calculations with 2000 atoms. So uh, initially it, it seemed almost impossible. 
But we came up with an ingenious method that reduced the computation cost by a million times without losing any accuracy. We found a way to approximate each 2000 atom integral as a sum over three atom integrals, which were computationally possible to, to compute. With, and this really made it possible to calculate the excitonic states and optical spectrum of the large area Moira superlattice. And we're calling this new technique the pristine unit cell matrix projection method. That's amazing. Could you um, uh, speak to um, uh, some of the, the resources um, that TAC provided in this? Indeed, uh, as I mentioned, we're really trying to push the limit of the number of atoms. So we did initially face uh, several issues with running some of the large scale Moira calculations on uh, Frontera in particular. But we received a, a lot of helpful support from the research associates at the TSCC who helped us resolve these problems. In particular, uh, I would like to quote one instance where we were unable to run these large scale simulations using a standard density functional theory package called Quantum Espresso on Frontera due to the instability of a new version of the Intel compiler that we use to compile this TFT package. The older Intel compiler was more stable, but at that time it was not available on Frontera. And we raised a ticket with the TSCC consulting team. And then uh, they, they really helped us out by finding a way around this. And they installed the package for us with the stable version. And this has really helped us and allowed us to compute the electronic structure of the WS2WSE to Morris Superlattice that went into this work. Also, our calculations require a lot of memory since we're dealing with a lot of atoms, huge systems. So it needs a lot of memory or RAM on each compute node, as well as we need very fast communications between the nodes of the HPC machines. And Frontera and Stampede 2 hardware, uh, they efficiently cater to these requirements by providing state-of-the-art inter-node connectivity and sufficient memory on each node. Does anyone want to, to, to speak more to how this research uh, relates to ordinary uh, non-scientists? Basically, um, the, uh, we have uh, kind of make connection to all the daily devices, the electronic, uh, up to electronic devices that we encounter. However, I could uh, make a comment on, uh, you know, how, why, you know, supercomputers is so important in the kind of work uh, we do. Uh, supercomputers actually help us to study complex uh, material system and novel phenomena uh, that cannot be uh, really studied well using uh, pen and paper uh, kind of analytic theory. Uh, basically, this kind of large-scale simulations enable us to uncover new physical principles and find pathways to engineer material properties uh, for real world applications. Uh, so including complete atomistic details from first principle with uh, quantum many body theory, while computationally is very demanding, it's important for conceptual and quantitative accuracies because of the many quantum degree of freedom in real materials. Uh, so computationally less expensive alternatives 
alternatives like coarse grain model that you often encounter uh, in the literature, uh, they more rely on fit parameters, which can often miss uh, important degree of freedom uh, that could result in um, uh, some incomplete, quantitative, even qualitatively incomplete description of uh, some materials properties. So this is a pitch uh, on why, you know, doing this kind of large scale computation with uh, facilities such as uh, uh, the tech facilities are so important in our research uh, from the point of view of a public support of this kind of research uh, facilities. You've been listening to Stephen G. Louie and Mitt Nake of UC Berkeley and LBNL and Felipe Ornata of Stanford University and Slack. Supersized Science is part of the Texas Podcast Network. The Conversations Changing the World, brought to you by the University of Texas at Austin. The opinions expressed in this podcast represent the views of the hosts, not of the University of Texas at Austin. For the Texas Advanced Computing Center, I'm Jorge Salazar. <laughs>